Good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are... Keith Thompson. You are... Justin Owens. And we have a special guest with us today. You are... Joey Taylor. Awesome, Joey. Thanks for being here today. This is Theology in the Dirt, where we try to put our theology to practice at our homes, in the public square of our city, and our world. And so that's what we're going to attempt today. And so uh, our topic today is sports. Um, we're going to be talking about how sports uh, affects our lives, but particularly our tendency to turn it into something that God didn't make it to be. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today, sports, and hopefully construct a worldview that allows for sports. Because I know we got two college athletes here in the room. Uh, I majored in crutches and surgeries. <laughs> Keith, did you play? Did not play. You didn't play past high school? Nope. And so we got two college athletes here, and, uh, and we got some perspective. To, to bring to the table, so we want to talk about that day. But before we do, let's start with our sports hot take. And so, uh, Joey, you said you got a couple, so why don't you go ahead and uh, give us two. your sports hot uh, take. <clears throat> one from the past that's leaning into the present and the one from the present. So um, this is one I told you a couple weeks ago when I heard this the first time. I believe that Barry Bonds should be a unanimous decision to the Hall of Fame. The guy is one of the – oh, that's fine. Crickets. Fine by me. The guy, I watched a video of him two <laughs> nights ago because he was on MLB Network, and his swing is arguably one of the sweetest swings. Now, Griffey still has a sweetest yeah. swing of all time. He swung, what did he swing, a 10-ounce bat? It's what fine. He hit him. He had 700-plus <laughs> home runs. The guy, even before, I, I did some stats because right. I was, I was debating this with a guy at work. He had 450 home runs before the – Before he juiced? Before the steroid era. Right. He did. He didn't need the <clears throat> juice. No. But now, he, he clearly – But he juiced. He never proven. I like to point that out. But anyway, even if he did, Dude, he so put was everybody on 60 else. Sixty pounds of muscle in like two and a half months, man. <laughs> it's fine. You're right. He did. Yeah. But the other thing is, so was everybody else. So I'm like, dude, it was the era. Right. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Now the Hall of Fame is wacky anyway right now. But right. Anyway, I feel bad for Hank, man, because Hank never juiced. Mm -hmm. And and you take away Hank Aaron's home runs, and he's still a three thousand hit guy. So I've got a trivia question right? for 3, you guys in a second. Three, yeah. He's still a three thousand <laughs> hit guy, and he did it without juice. I just I hate that Barry Bonds passed the hammer. I know. I hear you, though. I mean, I, you know, that's okay. It, it is complicated because at the same time you got pitchers who are juicing. Mm -hmm. um, Hank never faced a guy who was who, he never faced a pitcher who was on the juice. Right. Um, I don't know how I don't know how you ever reconcile any of that. You know, you almost have to go well because when does the era start, right? Sure. Did it did it start in this? That's I a just, good point. Think about pitchers juicing. You too, just right? never, and you know, it's like would the you know would this team from 1962 beat this team from two? Who knows? Yeah, right. like you can't even have that conversation. Well, that was no. a that was a question. Somebody asked Michael Jordan if uh, his Bulls could beat the Lakers. And he said, yeah, we'd probably be in by two or three points right now. And he said, well, why, why is it so close? He goes, well, most of us are 60. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Fair That's enough. A, That's awesome. So but it, to try to compare errors is, is, is hard to do yeah. sometimes. Yeah, so it is hard. Definitely. Everybody wants to try to do it, but it's hard to do sometimes. That's a good so. point. You said you had another a hot take for us? got a Falcons hot take Oh, let's you. let's hear it. <clears throat> Draft's coming up. Yep. The hot take is, I don't know how hot this is. It might be like medium, is that Falcons do not pick at the fourth spot. They trade back, and they try to load as many picks as they can into this draft. you got a new regime, right? So my guess is they're going to want to have as many players as they can come in. Mm -hmm. Because 
you really don't have a whole lot of guys that can play. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to want to get as many guys in, in there as they can. So I think they, they, they trade out. I mean, there's a lot of suitors that would love to come in at four and take that. I think that's a magical, <laughs> magical take. Appreciate that. I'm, I'm a fan. I agree. So, but we got here's a lot of cap piece. to cut, right? We got a, positions to fill. We need some league minimum salaries. To the other piece it. of that is if Justin Fields falls to four and the Falcons trade out of it, the city of Atlanta could be, they're going to be really mad. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't be so mad. Right. I'm not sure I'm sold on any quarterback past Trevor mm. in this draft. Just a personal opinion. Uh, that's pretty good. That's solid. Justin, yeah. what you got, man? Um, I think that the Tampa Bay Rays got a steal in signing Colin McHugh mm. last minute mm. as spring training starts. So that's I solid. think he's a good fit into – That's magical take. That's good. I was hoping the Braves would pick him up. That's solid. I like it. Keith. Uh, I think um, Anthony Edwards dunked the other night <laughs> against the Raptors. Maybe the best dunk. Brilliant. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. It'll be the best dunk of the season. I agree. Look at these hot takes are like gold today. He he, he would have like hit his nose on the rim. Yeah. If he had been under the rim. Yeah. When he unbelievable. I saw somebody on Twitter say, "You want to see a dead body?" Question <laughs> mark. And then underneath it, they posted that dunk. <laughs> he just posterized. That was beautiful. Unbelievable. I thought that was funny. You want to see a dead body? Look at this. That's awesome. And he played at Georgia. And what yep. did we win? Like three games? Jeez, not really. Well, no. Listen, we didn't make the tournament. We well, had the ant. There was no tournament. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point. The other part of that was they had won their first round of the SEC tournament. Yeah. They were heating up. Yeah. At the right time. Yeah, that's right. That was last year, wasn't it? And I forgot, like, the Rona happened. Yep. Mm. The Rona has erased all time. I think it was because they they had played on a Wednesday. (laughs) Right. And then Thursday is when they shut down all the tournaments. And they had won. That's right. They had to go in and win. Yeah, they had a couple tough games ahead of them. But Mm. you got a guy like Anthony Edwards in a tournament like that. Mm. You saw Syracuse did that with Carmelo years ago. Right. All you need is one guy in that league, so. Right. All right, here's my hot take. And this – I may get some hate for this one, but I think Justin Fields uh, will not be an NFL quarterback in four years. Ooh. I think uh, my concern. Hit the chime would, again. Yeah, you, you want to hit that right <laughs> there? there? Is that the, or or some? I don't know. Somebody may be. You know that yeah. may be the, the take. You're either boom or bust with that one. Yeah. It, I have a hard time believing he couldn't get on the field because. He was such a great quarterback at Georgia. Kirby wants to win. Kirby's not interested in stroking a quarterback's ego. He don't care where Jake Fromm leaves or goes. Mm-hmm. He couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't a great college quarterback. He clearly has been a really good college quarterback. My concern is the ability to pick up the game intellectually. And I don't mean not that he's a smart kid. It's such a fast game, and quarterback is such a position that requires you to process so many things so quickly. I just have a hard time believing uh, that he couldn't get on the field because he's better. Mm. Yeah. You know? It's a fascinating thing. I w- getting into the minds of, a, of an NFL quarterback recruiter would be interesting because right. y- there's, I don't know what the predictor is. Right. Until they get on the field with that speed and that level of complexity. Right. Who knows? Right. What, what Most college to. stud quarterbacks don't end up being the stud in the pros. That's true. I mean, you look at the Ohio State. He goes to Ohio State and he balls out. But how many quarterbacks at Ohio State have balled out and flamed out? Well, they've also played six games. 
It's right. That's right. That's a good point. No, no, that's right. That's right. And they didn't have to. Who did they play? Right. They didn't run any gauntlet. And I'm not trying to be an SEC hound, but I mean they played Cusa and well, you Model. Could, you and could probably Pickle. say the same thing about Clemson, but at the same time, right? I think Trevor's a generational talent. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So might defy your odds there. Right. No, I, I, I think he will. I think Jake Fromm will be out of the league in three more years, too. I don't, he's not an NFL quarterback. He's going to be a great high school coach one day. He is going to be fantastic, <laughs> absolutely. Well, those are our sports hot takes for the day. If you guys disagree with us, you can send us an email at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com, and uh, we're glad to respond, probably not to your sports takes. Well, we're going to talk about sports today. Um, sports important for us. So we have two college athletes here. Justin, you played college what? I played baseball at Barry College. There you go. So we got a college baseball player and another college baseball player. Shorter, at shorter. Oh at man, the time. same guy. Did y'all Rival. cross like? Were, did y'all ever play one another? I graduated in '09. I only played one year, so it was '06. Yes, we would have crossed then because I was there from '05 to '10. Yep. Oh, that's crazy. That's wild. I didn't know that. And that's pretty neat. So mm. two competitors here in the house, and we have a dropped phone. Any sound you hear? Is a dropped phone. <laughs> it's totally good. So, Joey, you have an interesting story. And I know I know some of your story. Yeah. I know a lot of your story and, and what God has done in your life. Share with folks your story, and, and let's let that launch us into how we see sports maybe differently. So, <clears throat> I have played baseball since I was six years old. You want to call it competitively, six, seven, eight years old. Not right. really all that competitively, right? More of fundamentals. Um, but... Um, I had played from the time. I mean, I, it is still a love of mine. Like I, I still love the game, and if I, any chance I can get to be around it, um, I just want to be around it. Right. Um, I think that throughout my teenage years, um, middle of high school, so tenth, eleventh grade, um, it kind of became an identity for me, um, and I didn't really know what the word identity meant. Right. I probably didn't know that till about twenty six. And we'll get into that in a second. But uh, so I'm 13, 14, 15 years old, and all my friends are playing baseball. So I've, I've played it for a long time, and I, I was okay at it. Um, and so I, I thought, okay, maybe this is something that I can do for as long as I can, right? <clears throat> and um, but to the point of like the identity, I don't really think it was I, identity was really trying to like, what's your self worth? Um, I didn't have like a bad home life by any means. Like, loving parents, you know, one sister, like it wasn't anything crazy where they was like beating me down to play baseball, to play baseball. Like I I love my family. They are not athletic and they're going to listen to this and laugh, but like, they're not. I mean, I had a cousin that played and uh, my brother-in-law was a football player, but um, outside of that, like I was the athlete. And um, so there may have been something on me internally that I felt like I got to perform type of thing. Um, But in a, since it was kind of just a lot of ways of like that was baseball was home and kind of belonging to something right um i I call them i mean we talk about little g gods and and the way that i look at it now is that was certainly a little g god for me um i saw some guys that were older than me going to college to play and i never really thought about playing in college um all that much because i just didn't know like the process for that right i mean 15 years old and in, in a world of non-social media, you don't know what's going on. Right. Uh, and Baseball recruiting isn't exactly like the football world of recruiting, right? right? It's a little bit different. Sure. Animal. Yeah, and, it, you know, you really only got to play. Like, if you had a kid on your team that was really, really good, right. like scouts would come in. And then, so 
great. I get a scout to come in. I'm going to let him see what I can do type of thing, right? So maybe what will happen, right? Um, well, long story short, my cousin actually played it shorter back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and um, knew uh, Coach Larry over at Shorter. He's now at Darlington. Um, but ended up going there. But anyway, um, baseball kind of filled the voids and the answers uh, for me at starting at like a young age for that, right? Um, I don't, I, I, again, I'll tell you that being a kid, like it's not like something that you, you understand that that's the knowledge of your identity at that point. But um, at some point, something switched. Um, and that kind of became my driving motive to perform. And, and, you know, you get people cheering you on, and it's like, oh, this is great. Like, let's do this thing, right? Like, I feel boasted it's up. Intoxicating. In yeah. Um, and I think part of that, too, this is, I don't know if this is even the case anymore, but part of that was, like, the recognition in, like, the local papers and stuff. <laughs> I don't think you really have local papers that really I don't know how it works anymore I don't read the paper but I remember having an article about myself that said a tailor-made ball player and I'm like daggone right I am right <laughs> and uh <clears throat> so it was, it was creative but it was also it was my picture on the front page of the paper and I was like type yeah. of thing you know sure um but so once I got into college and started playing if, if the switch didn't flip before it had certainly switched then um because you know it's a it's a full-time job essentially at that point um and so my job, my motivation was to be the hardest worker out there. I was the littlest kid on the team. Always had been, always probably would be, right? Um, but I was going to be the hardest worker. I was going to be the dirtiest player, not physically, like like literally physically dirty, like uniform dirty. Not, Mark Lemke dirt. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, not like, you know, shady dirt. Nasty. <laughs> yeah. So not I, Barry Bonds, okay. Mark Lemke, okay. right? Well, listen, if I take steroids, <laughs> I would look really weird, but – um, but anyway, so, but I took pride in doing that. I took pride in leaving practice every day covered in dirt, um, because I knew that I worked harder than the guy next to me. And, and some of that's good. And some of that's idol, idolatry. Right. And, um, but that was part of my identity was I can work harder than you. I can work harder than you because I know that when you leave the field, you're going to go home and do whatever you want to. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go do, I'm going to hit some more. I'm going to take more ground balls. Um, so let me ask you this question. How How is that idolatry? Somebody's going to listen to this and go, that just sounds like how I approach the game. I want to be excellent. How is that idolatry? Um, I don't think it's – I think it's the priority of it because um, the priority for me was that's all I cared about. Sure, I had friends, and I mean I still got friends from that time period to this day, right? Um, but I don't think that it was healthy at the time seeing it now in the middle of it i'd say yeah absolutely it's i just striving for excellence just want to be excellent i want to be the best player on the field and there's nothing wrong with that i don't think right um but it's the priority of it right the the point of it was when people left to go home or whatever or you know to the dorms or whatever they did whatever they wanted to but i wanted to be the best but yet i didn't have anything else i didn't have anything else to ground me so at some point I, i think about it too in a way um think about pedestals pedestals hold something up right um at some point that pedestal is going to crumble <laughs> um and when that pedestal crumbles then what right um and so that's kind of what happened next like you know you play four or five years uh, um yeah i was a five-year guy so no hey big deal. there you go big deal um, NCA <clears throat> gives you some eligibility let's right? go baby yes. well we were nai at the time so uh, yeah that's right. uh, we didn't go d2 till i'd worked there we'll get to that in a second but right. um so May I remember to this day, May first, two thousand ten, last ball game. Seventeen years of playing competitive baseball, 
and that was it. And so to my point, like the pedestal was done. I got a picture of me getting onto the bus for the last time. And like, I see that now and I'm like, oh, that was a fun time. But I vividly remember seeing that photo a couple weeks later and thinking, what now? Like, where do I go? What am I going to do with myself? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, all my life I'd been a baseball guy and then all of a sudden, like I wasn't. There was no way I was, I, I, I wasn't going to get drafted. I wasn't going to get picked up by any free, you know, any free agent or anything like, like it wasn't anything like that coming for me. Um, so I kind of struggle with that. And I don't think that I was good enough to go to that next level. Obviously not. Right. But internally I thought that I could, um, but externally I, I just, I wasn't. So, um, so like baseball consumed everything, right. I didn't really have anything else. And so I was like, okay, what do I do now? That pedestal's gone. Um, so when I say a lot, I feel like I lost my identity. I feel like I just lost my sense of worth there, if that makes sense. Um, so that was kind of phase one. No longer being a college baseball player. Um, I was 23 uh, at that time. That was 2010. 11 and 12, uh, I worked at the university in the athletic department. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I can still be around this game. I can still be around doing all the stuff for athletics, right? Yeah. Um, and we were part, I was part of a, a small team that four or five of us that would, would, would handle all the athletic events. Any athletic event we did, it, it ran through us. Any big event on campus, most of the time it ran through us. So we took pride in that. And again, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with yeah. making sure that things are running smoothly, making sure the athletic events are what they are. Excellence um, is not idolatry. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and so as we were doing all that, I, I kind of felt like I'm still going to continue to prove myself and prove my self-worth to everybody else around me, that I can do this job better than anybody else in the whole country. Because now it wasn't just you're in the conference of playing ball when you have physical stats. I didn't have any stats of how fast can you set up a gym for a basketball game, right? Um, but You I, were going to set them, though, weren't you? I gosh, I was, you know. And so I knew that I was going to be there before first right. class, which most of the time first class was 8 o'clock. So I was going to have stuff set up for the whole day where somebody, nobody could get on the gym floor. That was my deal. We had a good basketball team, and I'm like, nobody's touching the gym floor on game day. That's my gym. It was Joey's gym. It wasn't, right? Um, but so every athletic event, like we did, that was a lot of pride in that for me. And so, um, but I think that there's a difference between now, I see this now, right? Between working for the glory of God and engaging our domains and, and, and doing things from selfish ambition um, and saying that I'm better than you or I can do it without any assistance. Um, <clears throat> so then this is where life gets tricky. Uh, the Lord is very kind and humbling people. Right. Um, but in the midst of all that, the Lord was kind of stirring my soul. Um, I'd grown up in church. Like I, if you had asked me that time, absolutely. I'm a Christian 100% easily believer been baptized when I was seven. No big deal. Right. Well, my life wasn't living that way. Right. And, and it wasn't like I was doing anything terribly crazy I didn't think maybe I was I don't know I can't remember a lot of stuff back in the day but it was decades ago before four kids um, kids have a way of erasing memories <laughs> <laughs> they just do um but in the fall of 2012 in the spring of 13 life is when it kind of changed forever right so um that I, I couldn't tell you an exact day like I can for the last game but I can tell you the season of when I was converted uh into fully surrendering to Jesus and that was that fall of 12, winter of 12, and spring and winter of 13. That kind of season, um, something shifted because, well, 
couple things shifted, but one, um, Laura and I were found out we were pregnant first week of January and we had been dating for a while. And, um, I was kind of a goober to her early on. And, um, but the Lord humbled both of us, uh, but me particularly and um, the identity that I found in sports and even found in Laura, um, turned into the identity that I was a child of a King at that point. Um, and, and Laura will tell you too, and, and I'm like, game on. Like as soon as I figured out, okay, this is what redeem means. Boom, let's go. Type of thing. I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to ask why. Here's what I read. Here's what I believe. Here's how the Lord changed me. Type of thing. Right. Right. Um, so from a pedestal standpoint, when I see about things knocking things down, like baseball was gone, my job was gone because I had to resign from shorter um, uh, that spring, and then uh, we got. Married, had a baby within about six months of each other. And then the last eight years, we've had three more babies, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout that season, um, was really life-changing for me from an identity standpoint, from a self-worth standpoint, because I didn't care then what people thought. I didn't try to perform. And, and I still try to perform to this day for things, but the, the priority is different, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that that season, obviously, when when it's kind of like the amazing, you know, amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound, save your like I me. Mean, as soon as you, you hear it, right, it's like boom, something something clicked, and uh, that season really changed uh, the, the the trajectory of our lives for sure. Um, I so. think one just an observation, uh, knowing you for the length of time I have, your transformation is a very stark transformation. Uh, from the moment uh, belief happened, the Lord granted grace to you mm-hmm. to believe you you were a different cat. Sure, yeah, completely different person. Yeah, and I think that that was part of the identity piece. Uh, when Laura and I were talking about this, and um, was full of grace and kindness, and where I had not experienced grace and kindness before, um, the Lord was good and gracious to give that to me and show me that's who He is, and yet He's still just right. Mm. Um, and so there's both sides of that. It's, okay, how do you wrestle with the kindness and the just part of that, right? Because um, he's, he's a jealous, can be angry sometimes, right? And if, you know, we're reading, I'm reading doing your Bible deal and go through the Old Testament, and I'm like, holy crap, dude. Um, <laughs> right. But um, a lot of good from that. But, um, but it, uh, you know, I wrote here that the Lord used the tearing down of those little G gods and the idols of Baseball, and again, even Laura was, I would tell you, was an idol for me because I was trying to impress her, you know. And now it's a different kind of impressor. You know, I'm like, what's up, girl? How you doing, boo? You know, type of thing. <laughs> watch me wash these dishes type of thing. <laughs> That's a whole lot different than watch me hit this. That's right. Watch me catch That's this. That's right. <laughs> um, but he, he, he took from me right, so that he could ultimately prove to me that he's the only worthy of my worship and praise. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that that was such a transformation for me individually that, you know, you look back and you tell you never be the same. I think that was just such a vital moment in my life for that. That's good. I think when we talk about issues of, of idolatry, um, it's, it's easy to think Major League and Joe Boo. You know, I like Jesus, but he doesn't help me hit the curveball. So, so you know, he's got <laughs> Serrano's got mm-hmm. Joe Boo. And we need to sacrifice a chicken, so I'm going to go get him some fried chicken. That's what we think about idolatry, sort of this caricature 
of idolatry, but in the Bible, it is so much more subtle. It's it's good things that turn into first things, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a an evil thing. You, you take in, in the example in the Old Testament. It's even it's easy even to miss the subtlety because they used physical representations like an Asherah pole, sure. a phallic symbol, or Baal, some some type of image to represent things they needed. They needed to have children to propagate a family line. You needed to have rain to have crops. And so these were representative of those things. And so it's not like they were seeking bad things. We need rain to grow the grain Mm -hmm. so you can eat and we can make money and we can buy more grain next year. And we have to have children. We have to have help in the field. So these things were good. It's how they got there. Mm -hmm. Baseball, football, soccer, basketball, whatever your sport happens to be is not evil. But if it takes a first place, an issue of identity, mm-hmm. then it crosses that very subtle line into something that goes from good thing to a first thing, and then we can take it to the realm of an evil thing. Yeah, I think part of it too was, you know, talk about an identity piece, um, the, the disappointment that comes with sports, mm-hmm. uh, playing them, watching them but particularly playing them and you know to the point of I got my name on the on the top of the paper well then I go 0 for 4 you know four strikeouts and, and so the disappointment there is <clears throat> is is hard enough but I think that was such a big piece of the identity too is that I was always trying to perform for people and then when you disappoint people well they don't love you anymore they don't care about you anymore and it's, and it's not from a family standpoint it's just all right we're gonna put you to the side because you didn't do as well as as I wanted you to do right mm-hmm. um and so that thing that's uh, that when you can when you can shift from I want to dis- I'm disappointing people to I'm rooted and established in the king mm. no matter what right no matter what disappointment I do because where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and when that happens in the shift of your mind and your heart, um, I think that was a big, big deal. That's, That's massive. That's massive. As a family, uh, we've had we had three, three teenage sons, uh, freshmen in college. We played football. Um, the other two, a junior and a sophomore, football, basketball, football, wrestling. It is very easy to cross that line between this is a good thing that does good stuff for you into that identity thing when we're at midnight on a Friday night, still unpacking emotionally mm. what got sideways that led to this. Mm. And, and, and those are moments where as a dad, cause I'm, I'm there cause I'm observing and I'm trying not to bring it up. So I don't, I don't want to be that dad. <laughs> it's like, why, how, how can that ball tip, tip off your fingers and get picked, man? Come on. You got on gloves. I mean, really that actually happened. Uh, and come on. I mean, geez, and, and that's what I'm thinking in the moment. But at the house later, the bus gets back, kids get home, try to back off, and, and they're processing it. So their hearts are caught up in that moment that has affected emotionally them when really, is it that important? Mm-hmm. Now, when I was their age, yeah, it was that important. But I'm sitting here as a dad and particularly as a Christian trying to unpack my emotions and help them unpack their emotions going, wow, this this is good and this is bad at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a fine line to walk. Yeah. <clears throat> I think parenting in sports is is really – I'm experiencing now. Noah's our oldest, and he's seven, and we're playing Little League ball this year for the first time. 
and literally to that point, the, other, the, the Saturday we had practice, I hit him a ground ball and it went through his glove. No big deal. He's seven. I said, I, word for word, and I caught myself after I said it. I said, dude, you're better than that because I expect him to field the ground ball. But then, you know, he's seven. He just kind of rolls off. But I thought to myself, that's not what I should have said. Mm. Just, hey, pick it up. You're all right. Let's go. Type of thing is maybe what I should have said. But um, so I'm still learning that. And so yeah. when they get to be teenagers, the, the point of that is uh, maybe to have similar conversations, a similar mindset. Because I'm going to be there too, right? It's not like right. you're going to miss it, uh, you know, Lord willing. And um, but things are going to happen where you are going to strike out four times in a game. You are going to throw an interception. You might get pancaked if you're an offensive lineman. And, and dude, you're going to get ran over a couple of times. How do you let that happen? How do right. you change it next time? So there's, again, there's good and bad in sports, right? And, 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 teaching but saying that from a dad standpoint dude you're better than that that just that immediately just probably if he's 12 or 13 it might root deeper than it would be if he was mm-hmm. seven but i think it reveals the idolatry that sports becomes right we we struggle as dads to relate to our kids in that because it was so ingrained in us and we want we want excellence we want to coach but it even becomes an idol for us yep. to hey you you can do better than that <laughs> All right and keith you're a coach <laughs> Yes. You are a coach, and so you live in this world. Um, so how do you process this idea of sports being in the right place? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's about balance. Again, you know, one of the things I love about sports is it's, it's a safe place to deal with things that are really, 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 really hard. So you're coaching your seven-year-old. He makes a mistake. Well, sometimes when somebody makes a mistake, the thing to do is to pop them in the rear end and say, come on. Let's go. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it too much or too aggressively, it's like it's all about balance. Right. But it's the you know, when when you strike out for the fourth time in a game and you you've been in a slump and you know, you, you get to have conversations about well, what are you gonna do? Well, how's this gonna affect you? And there's like there's just loads and loads and loads of biblical worldview opportunity there. And sports is, is a, one of the things, one of the rare things, I think, in life that is black and white enough to where it, it, there's just not a lot of gray. And so it's, a, it's this great analogy to life, and that's why I absolutely love sports. Right. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to learn things in a way um, that is super clear. You know, Jesus used parables because when you, can, when you put something, you view something that's concrete, use that to to make gain, gain understanding in something that's not concrete it's more abstract jesus loved to do that sports does that beautifully to me mm. it's no you never have to wonder well did i win or did i lose no we mm. we know who won and lost the game mm. right that's easy right um we can even look at how you contributed to the win or the loss we can go back and say was that because of lack of lack of preparation or was it just not your day like they, uh, there i mean i could just go on and on and on but like anything else in life, you know, sports and competition is fairly neutral. It's, it's like running. Is running bad or good? Well, if I'm running from responsibility, it's bad. <laughs> if I'm running into a burning house to save children, it's good. And so we have to constantly ask ourselves the question, what am I doing with sports? Um, when I was, I didn't know this, but when I was sort of preparing for this, I, the, the sort of the Latin word to where we get the word sport comes from desport. Des means um, away, and the, the or, or yeah, and then port was, um, you know, commitment basically. 
So it, it was an opportunity to, to get away from something. So it comes down to us as sport, and it's an opportunity to us for entertain ourselves or sort of get away, kind of like a hobby. But it's just like anything else. If you leverage that for the kingdom, it's way more than just getting away. You look at a guy like T- Tony Dungy. Sport for him was way more than just sport. It was an opportunity and is an opportunity for him to share his faith, to exemplify all sorts of things. And the men who played for him witness to that. Whether mm. whether they're Christians or not will tell you he taught them to be a good man. Yep. And and, and that's that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, as a coach, uh, it if you go into it with the mindset, this is an opportunity to build the kingdom. And it's constantly front of mind all the time. And as you're gauging your emotions and you're frustrated because things aren't going like they should and a kid makes a mistake for the fifth time that you know he's better than that. It's like, okay, how am I going to rein in my emotions? Because that's the other thing. Sports brings out. It's got the opportunity. To, it's gonna, the, the emotions are going to run wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, you get to deal with real-life situations in a, in a time when you're least likely to manage them well. But the consequences really aren't very big. So it's, it's this great opportunity to see how are you going to respond when emotions are high and things don't go well or things do go well. So I think it's wonderful. That's fantastic. Hey, we're <laughs> going to take a break. And then we're going to come back and continue to unpack uh, how we construct a positive, more accurately, a theologically accurate framework mm. for sport. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Joey, I have a question for you. Sure. As you're unpacking your story, you're looking back. From this moment in time, you're looking back on the timeline. In the middle of it, what's going on in you as all of this is happening? Your, um, your life is shifting you're not a baseball player anymore, but you're still in the athletic department. Um, life has changed. God has shown himself to you. You're now married. you got a child on the way. Um, you're kind of forced into position to leave a job you like. Um, what's going on in you that's showing you there's an identity problem? What did that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? How did, how did, that, how did that awareness happen inside you? That's a complex question because it's, What's that awareness? Because you, you talked about the season from the spring into the winter yep. that this happened. What's going on in you as that shift's taking place? Um, so I was doing a lot of um, – actually did fasting, legitimate fasting for the first time um, and, and did it with um, a friend of mine who uh, ended up marrying us. He's still one of my best friends to stay. We're talking to him on the way over here. Um, and and we talked a lot about pedestals, and that's kind of where I got that analogy from. Was uh, John Moore? Uh, he's the man. He's kind of like Bob Roberts is to you, to me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I don't. That's such a complex. It is a complex question, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that being able to recognize eternal things. more clear than what was right in front of me, what I needed to work out, what I needed to run, what I needed to do, not necessarily running from a responsibility, Mm -hmm. but responsibility shifting. Um, And I think, so I think that that was part of what was going on in my head. I know that when we were fasting and and going through things, we we would, I'm a big visual guy. And so we would write down 
know, certain sins that that we were that I was going through, and uh, from an identity crisis, how I said, okay, I was this I was this person, I was this person, I was this person, I was trying to impress A, B, C. Um, let's physically lay them, write them down, and physically lay them down at a foot of a cross. Um, that helped shift my mind of okay, I can rest. I think there was more resting during that period. Um, and I needed that resting because when you guys know when you have a kid and you don't get rest, <laughs> uh, I, I tell Laura to this day, I'm like, I don't remember the first six weeks of Noah's life. He was born in September. I'm like, ah, I kind of remember him about Halloween. <laughs> That's God's gift to save you for the future. Yep. Uh, Sleepless nights, yep. erase memories. And <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it allows you to say, no, I'm, I'm really a good person. Yep. It's okay. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, but I think that was, I think that was part of the, the shift of, was learning how to rest more. Um, so even like internally in my mind, I was like, okay, I can, I can, I can rest. I don't, I don't have to perform anymore. Mm. Like the performance is done. Right. Like right. the performance was done by Jesus. And, and if, if I can rest in that, then it's, it's easier for me to understand that and to kind of just be free. Yeah. That's it was, good. It was a freedom piece. I, wa- I think about watching kids um, because I'm aware of this now. I'm 48 kind of been through some stuff, figured a few things out, still figuring a lot out, but you look for emotions, look at eyes. And you watch the kid who didn't play like he thinks maybe he ought to have played, but it doesn't affect him. He's still happy to be part, still glad to be part of the team, versus the kid who's pouting now, and it affects them emotionally. And you can take a look there, whether they're Christian or not, and, and you can start to evaluate where this is at. Are they... Are, are, What's the priority? And for that one, it may be this thing is setting at the top. Mm. It's first place, and their identity is, is, is cranked up in it. And the other kid's like, no, nah, this is just fun. I like, I like the game. Glad to be part. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is rarer than the other. Mm. Well, right? Part and, of that, too, I would tell you, it comes, and especially at a younger age, it comes from a parent. Yeah, right? I, and I think that um, – Or the culture of sports. Yeah. Did you see the clip of the kid – Dogging on Cam, Cam Newton. Newton. Yeah. yeah. I'm going, man, dude, hey, if that had happened in 1988, 90, 91, <laughs> he'd have got, he got a severe, I can't even say, because today you would get probably arrested for what would happen to that kid. But that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Never. Yep. In a million years, right? But here's this mentality of I am now, I'm superior. I, I'm equal with you, Mr. Millionaire Professional Athlete. And you can tell what this kid's values are, right? And I'm going, jeez, mm-hmm. man, this is a different. The culture of sports has has almost taken on a life of itself. It really has. It really has. Yeah. I think for us, as we think through constructing a healthy worldview around sports, we have to ask the question of why is it so easy for sports to get us off the rail? What is it about that culture that so easily goes from, hey, this is fun, this is productive, this can be a good thing, to this is it? Right. This is the thing. Mm, that's solid. I'm still stuck, too, because I think the interconnection between running to something or running away from something, but they're both running. So your motivation for what you're doing is, is huge. And, yeah. and, and I think those are interrelated to some degree of, of if I'm running from something, that can, that can affect the culture. Mm. And that's something that's it's viral and it's negative viral, whether you're running away from your real identity or, or running away from – um, who knows what? Um, because let's be honest, us here at this table, we believe that apart from Christ, everybody's broken mm-hmm. and a sinner and separated from God. 
and their heart is an idol factory. And if it's not sports, it's going to be something else. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, and so if that's the culture and they're running from where they realize it or not, they're running from God's pursuit of them. It maybe sports is just the easiest thing. Because mm. in other countries, it's where they don't maybe sports not a big deal. They're running from something. Yeah. Right. And the thing about sports is you're you're forced to engage, like in a sporting event, particularly in team sports. Um, you're you know, all the things that go along with being a good teammate and sort of picking one another up, encouraging one another, or not encouraging somebody. How are you going to respond when the other guy, the guy that hasn't you've seen him at practice, he hasn't been practicing very hard, and then he makes a mistake in the game, and it's like a, you you show up with emotional baggage about him. Mm-hmm. How are you going to respond to that guy? And then there's the guy who makes him so. You got the folks on your team, then you got the people on the other team, and they're in your face, and they're they're you have to engage those people. So and that's the way life works. But in most of life, you have the opportunity to just sort of turn your back, not engage. A lot of people don't, you know, they they just don't engage, so they stay out. And in in, a, in an athletic competition, you don't have that option. So it's all right there. It's out on the table, and emotions go crazy. People say like if I was ever going to lose my mind, it was going to be on the on the ball field. Mm-hmm. I always had pretty good control of my emotions, but on the field, I just it was hard. Um, and you watch people, teammates, people who are calm, otherwise normal. Listen, I never saw my grandfather get rattled. He didn't even like sports, <laughs> and he but he came to a game one time where I was got thrown out of the game. That's it's like what is awesome. going on with my grandfather? He lost his mind. But you know the energy was rolling. Yeah, he saw something that he thought was an injustice, and man, he it just came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that you know it. That's why you know people talk about golf, whether it's good or bad. I don't really play golf; I'm not very good <laughs> at it. But you will find out what somebody's made of on a golf course, and that's why I. That's why I think that's a legitimate reason people do business on a golf course. I took a guy that I worked with one time to meet some people we worked with. He acted like an idiot. And the people that we hoped to get their business were like, nope. nope. Wow. Because you get to see what happens when somebody right. gets frustrated and things don't go their way. Yep. Right. And no matter, no matter how bad you don't want it to come out. Right, right. Sports tap into comp- competition. Mm-hmm. And I think every human, because there, there'll be some people who listen to this who never played a sport, don't care about sports. And, 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 and that, that's another vein, right, that, that we can go down is, is why the focus on sports, particularly for young men, when they're, when they're guys who aren't sport-driven. Uh, but, but what drives that is competition, whether you're a sports guy or a music person. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's down in the human heart, the desire to compete against yourself or somebody else for position. You're jockeying mm-hmm. for something. And, and your grandfather, for you, like that was wrong, mm. and by God, mm-hmm. you know, and that because that competitive heart comes out, yep. and and it's rooted deep inside of us, and 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 I think there's where for me we begin to construct is what it is, what is it in the heart of women and men that longs to strive, mm-hmm. to run toward something, and what has broken it, and how do we redeem that? Mm-hmm. For me, I when I've been to boil that down, that's where I that's where I begin to try to construct something Mm -hmm. i think you know i don't view myself as a very creative person right um sports person i do like music you know i'm a numbers person but i think there's that desire in all of us uh created in the image of god to create to flourish to manage to 
build and construct things. And I think sports gives us a place to do that. Um, even for those people who wouldn't view themselves as, you know, I'm trying to build something or construct something, but it's that natural desire to improve something that I think reflects the image of God in all of us, that we want to do better. We want to excel and we want to root people on that are good at stuff. I mean, it's why we go crazy for the Olympics, right? We want to see world-class athletes do things that should not be humanly possible. Right. That's good. There's a building component because we're, we're made in the image of God. God gave, gave humankind, man and men and women in creation before sin, a mission to subdue, to co-create with him, not from nothing, but from everything he made to go and, and make. And there is a making, a creation in sports, whether it's making a team better, making myself better. There's a creation that's taking place. It's an image of God issue, which I'm convinced is why it's so easy to turn it into an idol. Yes. is because it's a God thing. There is a the image of God in us that wants to make and create, and sports is one of the vehicles by which we can make and create whether a good team or a better individual, whatever it happens to be. And it's that fine line of what gets identified as most important or takes my primary sense of identity. Mm. And that is a very thin line. Yeah, and I think the Imago Dei piece of that is is so vital because especially as believers, and you're, we're really infiltrating that domain right there. And right. Um, to have a, kid that maybe has a parent that is way too hard on them when they're nine and then to have another parent that's like oh dude it's just a game let me just fundamentally get you better now when you get older and and you're competing in in maybe a high school level or uh, certainly collegiate level there's a different of um aggressive emotion that goes into coaching um but when people are doing that at seven eight nine years old their their root of I have to perform for dad, mom, uncle, grandfather, cousin, whoever becomes such a rooted identity piece that it is hard to break that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may not know it until they're 26, right? you mm-hmm. know, 25, 24, you know, whatever. So um, I think that's just such a big deal. And I, I do think that there's a lot of good that comes from sports too. I mean, you've kind of touched on a little bit. I think that hard work ethic, and that, that this isn't just sports because um, I got friends that aren't sport freaks that, hardest workers in the room, right? And it's just to, to a numbers game, like business side of that thing is I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to do my best, but they're going to compete. Yeah. Whether you're, whether you're in a band, mm-hmm. whether you're an artist or whether you're playing a sport, that human heart to create and compete is there. Yeah. If you're in a fallen world and there are things that are coming against you to do what God's called you to do, there's wrestling. Mm. There's going to be wrestling. They'll, probably, they'll likely be wrestling, um, even in the eschaton, probably. Right. But we know for now, we're going to struggle. The Bible is full of struggle from the very beginning. Adam <laughs> and Eve in a perfect garden. Eve, the apple's completely neutral. The tree, neutral. The enemy's trying to wrestle with her. Mm-hmm. She's having to wrestle back. Yep. It's essentially a competition. Who is she going to believe? Is she going to believe God or is she going to believe the devil? Mm. And it never stops. It never, ever stops. Paul, he gets to the very end of his life, and how does he characterize it? I fought the good fight. He recognized it was a struggle. He even uses terminology that, that, is, that carries over good into English, but, I mean, th- that struggle is all through the Scriptures, everywhere. Competition is something that we're born to do in this fallen world. 
And so um, that's why, you know, sports, mm. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem not to sort of consider the building of a wall. No, Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to finish a wall. Mm-hmm. Those guys have trials in one hand and swords in the others. Yeah. And at some point, somebody probably had to tell a guy, hey, dude, pick up your trial. We, <laughs> we got to go. We got things happening. Those guys in the valley down there, they don't want us to do this. Right. <laughs> Let's get going. Um, and the Bible's full of, and you think about a Judeo-Christian work ethic. I think it's a biblical thing. I think it's all through the scriptures that people ought to do the thing that God's called them to do. Yeah. Sports are a great place to learn that you can't lollygag. Yep. There's a place for work, and then there's a place for not. But at the end of the day, God's not going to be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Mm. And so these are good things to learn on a sports field. Mm, that's solid. Everything we do, man, you're throwing pictures that are blowing my mind and helpful. We are pushing back. There's a wrestling. There's mm-hmm. a there's a struggle. Like one of our one of our guys in our church owns a, a a pool business, and he does high end, really nice pools. And he, hey, I need you to pray for me this week. The shallow end of this pool that we built, almost finished, rose six inches and cracked at the shallow level. Rose six inches, and having to figure out why that happened. He's competing against water table. <laughs> Dirt, rocks, concrete, and he's having to push back. That's not sport, but it's the root of what pushes sport and 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 everything is it, it's this competing against, a wrestling against, a pushing back against. Mm-hmm. And and sport is one avenue, one vehicle by which we can mm-hmm. engage that and learn that lesson. Yeah, learn it. Yeah. Um, I think too, uh, another piece of the good that can come from it. So you talk about work ethic and and you got to get going. You got place for work, place for play. I think <clears throat> oftentimes I've, I've seen it can be a generational curse breaker too. Um, you know, mm. I think that that is, you don't really realize what it is, um, but some people can break their ge- family generational curses by g- getting out of a certain town, getting out of a certain area um, and going on to, um, I don't want to say bigger and better things, but going on to a different place where they can have more influence that then they can go back into that. So you, you get pulled out of it to go back into it um, to maybe change the direction of that town or city or neighborhood or wherever they come from too. So You're just rescued from a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a, a family member, a father or mother that's like to go off to school to be able to to play this sport gets me out of that house. And it doesn't just have to be sport too. I mean, right. I could be the, the, yeah. the best musician yeah. in the city of Rome, Georgia. Absolutely. Uh, and it gets me out. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think that people don't, first you got to recognize what a generational curse is and which one is holding you back mm. um, and holding your family back in, in a sense. But um, to be able to surrender that, to, you know, and, and if you think about surrendering a curse to the Lord, <laughs> Like that's, it's kind of gutsy to do um, because when you start asking the Lord for things, he's probably going to test you a bit more. Mm, right. Um, and so for, for me, it's, it's patience and gentleness. That's, that's kind of the uh, fruit of the spirit that I've been working on the last little bit. Uh, and <laughs> so the somebody Lord tell me one time that if you pray for patience, the Lord is only going to give you opportunities yeah. to be patient. So <laughs> yep. be careful and. So therefore, I will never pray for patience. Yep. It's uh, not a magical. Boop. No, it's not. Um, but you, as a believer, have that because you have the fruit of the spirit, right? And you, it's not that you don't possess gentleness or patience. 
you literally have it. You, you might be better at something else. You might be better at patience than gentleness or whatever the case is, right? But um, for me, those are the two that I've said, Lord, I, I, I need your help. I need to break this. Um, there doesn't need to be any anger. It doesn't need to be any kind of yeah, aggressiveness or That's anything good. like that. So That's actually, uh, I don't want to open this can of worms because this would actually be a fantastic podcast episode. But when you talk about generational curse, uh, I did a lot of reading biologically. I'm fascinated with brain science and uh, DNA stuff. I think that stuff's fascinating because God made all that, right? <laughs> That's God's, mm-hmm. not man's. Yep. It didn't evolve. It didn't, there's nothing, there was never nothing. I'm sorry, there was never an eternal matter that just evolved into what we have now. There was nothing, and then there was something because God created it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, epigenetic modification, go look it up and read. You'll be absolutely fascinated. When he said the sins of the fathers are third and the fourth generation, go look up epigenetic modification, how DNA manifests itself mm-hmm. based upon habit. Yep. Absolutely mm-hmm. blows my mind, mm-hmm. which, which is why all of us as parents look at that first, second, third born and go, oh, God. <laughs> Oh no, like I, I haven't even actively taught that. But they're dude, why? Why are why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? I repented of that. I hadn't said that in 20 years. Yeah. Where'd that come from? And 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 there's there's some genetic modification that happens by our habits that we pass on to our kids. And I just and I think God knew that. Mm-hmm. He just said, I don't need to describe DNA to you right now. Just don't do this. Cause if you do, mm-hmm. you're gonna see it some generations down the line. So stop. You know, yeah. And anyway, that's a that's a can of worms yeah, for later. I didn't but mean, I, I didn't mean to try no, to I, I, but well, it is this, a, this is theology <laughs> in the dirt. I mean, part of our deal is to wrestle with these things. Life comes at us. It's not just doctrinal statements. It's we're gonna play sports matter. Yep. Mm-hmm. If they didn't matter, my kids wouldn't play. Right. Right. And I'm I'm not the shun sports guy. I like sports. My kids like sports. We do sports, and so it matters. Yep. And how we come at it matters, and and their habits that I passed on to them matter. And so we got to figure out how to wrestle through that. So why are they acting that way? Well, that's my fault. I think one of the better um, attributes that can come from sports, too, uh, is coachability. Because mm. um, I think that if you're coachable at an early age, you're submissive at an older age, mm-hmm. particularly to the Lord, right? Um, but even coachable, because then you're, you, know, you probably see kids that are coachable and not coachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the ones that are coachable tend to be easier to communicate with, um, tend to listen to your instruction more. Um, but particularly if, if somebody's coachable, I, I think that they're, they can be more submissive to what the Lord has to say to them later on. That's good. One of the things that I've noticed as, a, as an employer, somebody who's trying to hire people, and I'm interviewing for various skills, and you want to try to get to know somebody as quickly as you can in a one-hour interview and talking to uh, references and that kind of thing. But one of the things you learn in sports is you, I think you can. It's an opportunity to learn a right view of authority. There's an official on the field the, or, the, or the court or whatever. The official's going to make a decision, and you got to live with it. Yep. <clears throat> and they're going to make mistakes. They're human. So now hopefully they won't make a mistake at the crucial <laughs> time of the game. But it happens. And at the end of the day, you've got to go, I've got to accept it. Yeah. And I, it's been my experience. Now, this is a, v- a gross generalization. But it's been my experience that when I'm supervising someone who's played sports or something like sports where it's very clear who is in charge, who's not in charge, who is in authority, who's not in authority, um, 
even in a coaching arrangement where somebody's going to have to take constructive criticism from a coach who's going to get it wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're going to criticize you for things you didn't do. It's okay. I, I, you know, that's the way it goes. But when you're interacting with someone in a team situation outside of when you're an adult and someone's used to that, they're accustomed to getting that kind of criticism and having to deal with it, they're way more easy to work with in a team environment. Right. There's, I get folks constantly who are not constantly, but sometimes, and you, you criticize them and you're as gentle and as constructive as you can be. And it just completely destroys them. They're just not used to it. Right. They have never had somebody chew their rear end on a football field or a baseball field or a softball field or a volleyball court. And it's just brand new to them. Yeah. They're like, what? You know, it's a personal thing. Yeah. They don't yeah. realize it's it's tactical. It's not personal. It's extremely it's not, tactical, right? Yeah. And the Bible deals with this. The Bible says, "Look, there's you have an authority, and there, we have human authorities. Mm-hmm. In the church, there are authorities, right. mm-hmm. and those authorities get it wrong. Yep. But you don't just check out and leave. Nope. You hang in there with them. You push back if you, you need to. Exactly. There are times, but and then there's a way to do that. Exactly. Your coach chews you out, says you didn't make a block. You did, you know that at film day. <laughs> He'll see that he was wrong. Just give it some time. When we're in the film game, right? When we're in the film room on Monday, yeah, I'm going to have an opportunity to go. Hey, coach, I made that block, or I didn't. That wasn't a hold. Like I didn't hold that guy. I didn't touch him. Right. So it's just wonderful opportunities to go. This is how real life works, Mm. and it's it's in the scriptures, and it and it manifests itself out how we deal with one another, even in the church. Wonderful. That's beautiful. I think the talk about uh, certain things that we can control, right? Um, there's literally only two things that you as an individual can control. I can't control how you react, how you react, how you react. I can't control how my kids react. I can control my attitude and my effort. How many times have you heard that, right? Mm-hmm. And that is literally in everything in life. That's not just sports, whatever the case is. Like if there's something that's thrown at me that's curveball type thing, I can choose to be grumpy about it or I can choose to just move on and keep it, keep it moving down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can choose to continue to give my best effort and my best effort in that moment um, can almost dictate my attitude. So if I feel like I'm all like I'm, I'm wronged, I can say, I'm not doing that. Nope. Mm-hmm. I'm out. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving the, the, the room or whatever you're leaving. Right. Um, but to be able to control those two things. And once people, once I've got that in my head um, is that I can't control how I can't control what uh, a boss does. I can't control what another uh, teammate does. I can't control what a coach does. I, I literally control how I respond and how I can react to it. Mm. Um, so that's good. That's solid you guys. We're going to run out of time. So let's speed round rapid fire. Let's go around final take and Keith, you go first, Justin and Joey. And then uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send us out. A final take is that sports is like anything else. It's good and bad. It depends on how you, how you, um, where you place your, uh, your value. It, it, are we going to uh, worship sports or are we going to worship the Lord and use sports as a means to worship the Lord? That's ultimately the question. It's a question with everything that we do in life. So what do I value the most? You mentioned it's about priorities. And um, I think sports is as good a venue and as good a tool to learn how to love the Lord rightly as anything out there. Uh, there's a bunch of others. But I, in that sense, I think sports is super valuable um, to either participate in or get involved with kids 
either your kids playing or coaching or whatever. That's good. Justin. I think sports provides a ton of teachable opportunities um, if we take advantage of them. Uh, I think the hardest thing for me to think through uh, as a parent of little kids who are thinking about getting involved in t-ball and, and soccer and other things is the time commitment now demanded by the culture of mm. sports on little kids. I mean, t-ball is three or four nights a week for 10 or 12 weeks. Like that's a huge commitment for a little kid. Um, so that it's hard to wrestle through how do you engage? What's the appropriate place? And how do you even teach your kids that this is a good thing, but it can't become your God. It can't become your idol when everything about it pushes you to, to elevate it, elevate it, elevate mm-hmm. it. It's good. Uh, I think I would stick on the pedestal type of thing, the priorities, um, because at some point sports will fail you. Uh, they make a terrible God. Mm. They just make a terrible God. Mm. Um, and, and so when that pedestal crumbles, what then? Where, mm. where are you leaning? Right. Um, so if you're not rooted and established in the King of Kings, right. um, you're going to have a tough identity crisis. Mm. That's solid. Yeah, I think, uh, I think for me, my, my final thought is um, finding that balance, um, that, that place, particularly as little ones, because what we do when they're little is going to translate to when they're big. And the patterns we set when they're little, the time commitment when they're little, what we're running to versus running away from when they're little, they're going to carry into life as adults. And, uh, and because it's an image of God issue, we're setting standards that are worship versus, um, well, whatever that is when we're not worshiping the Lord. And, and, so, and so I'd say to parents, just be careful, but don't run from it, right? Uh, it's not just about sports. It's whatever your kid's gifted at, whatever you're gifted at. Uh, be aware of what sets number one and what's an issue of identity. Well, guys, we thank you for listening. Uh, it's a joy to do this, and we have a lot of fun with it. So we want to invite you, if you have questions, topics you'd like us to discuss, you can uh, email them to theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We would love it if you would like and share our podcast. Share it, share it, share it, and send us questions. Help us with content anytime you like. We're glad to answer questions and have a good time doing it. So you can find this at mitchjolly.com, and it's been a joy to do it for you. Have a great day. See you next time. Out.